0: Um, I'd just like to pray and ask God to help me this morning. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious time that you've given us to worship you, Lord. Lord, you know what our lives are, God. And you know in each individual person this morning what our needs are, Heavenly Father. And we come to you this morning, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus, God, and ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts. Open our hearts to receive your word, Lord, that we hear from you this morning, God. I ask you please to anoint me, God, to bring this message, Lord, and help me, God, I pray to deliver it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I ask these blessings, Lord, in Jesus' name, and thank you, Lord. Amen. If you can turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And um, I thought today that it might be interesting seeing that the majority of attendees this morning are ladies, but it doesn't seem to be that way. We've got plenty of men with us this morning. Um, That uh, we would look into the four women in the genealogy of Jesus Christ found in the uh, book of Matthew chapter 1. But first, let's have some information on genealogies. Genealogies help substantiate the Bible's historical accuracy. Accuracy. These lists confirm the physical existence of the characters in the Bible. By knowing family histories, we understand that the Bible is far from a mere story. It's got connection with human families. Amen. It is authentic, it is historical, and it is the truth. An actual man named Adam actually lived and he um, had actual descendants and therefore his actual sin has actual consequences. The genealogies also confirm prophecy. The Messiah was prophesied to come from the line of David in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. I'm just going to turn there quickly to read that. If you want to turn with me, Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. By recording his lineage in Scripture, God confirms that Jesus was descended from David. We find that in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, and in Luke chapter 3, verse 23 to 38. The genealogy is yet another testimony of Jesus Christ's fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. In regard to Israel's kings, genealogy was essential because the kingdom is to be passed from father to son to son to son. Reading genealogies in the Bible, it can be difficult with lots of unpronounceable and difficult to pronounce names. But these genealogies give us a lot of information and are a perfect record of the history of Israel. The lists also demonstrate the detail-orientated nature of God and his interest in individuals. God did not see Israel vaguely, but he saw it with specific and precise detail. There is nothing detached about genealogies. They show that God is involved. The inspired word of God mentions people by name, real people with real histories and real futures. God cares about each person and the details of his or her life. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 30 to 31 it says, But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Amen. God has got his eyes upon us. I'm so thankful to know that God cares for us so much. We are here today. It's amazing. I'm looking at people in this uh, service today and how the, difference, how the difference the Holy Ghost makes in our lives makes a huge difference and when we baptize with the holy ghost that takes place internally it's nothing that happens on the outside we get baptized it takes place internally amen and it's just as quick as anything it starts to show on the outside amen and the more you the more we grow and the more we live for the lord and we more the more we reach out to him the more he pours into us, and the more we become more like him, and the more the evidence of God in our lives and the Holy Ghost is seen on the outside. It's absolutely wonderful. And I love that, that song that says, Jesus on the outside, on the inside working on the outside, amen. It also takes us to a scripture in the Bible. So ho- ho- hold on to God no matter what, amen. Hold on to God. The troubles and hardships can come our way, difficulties and things we don't understand. But one thing's for sure. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He's going to reign forever. He knows each individual by name. He knows where we are. He knows what our needs. I can't emphasize that enough. Amen. Hold on to the rock. You might not see clearly, but hold on to the rock. Amen. Keep presenting yourself to the Lord day after day, hour after hour, and let him minister into your lives. Amen. He's the one who knows what we need much better than we know ourselves. When we look back in biblical times, we see that it was a very patriarchal society. That is in the family, the head and the ruler is the father who is followed by his sons and then his sons' sons, etc., who will take his place in the family in those leadership roles. We expect that today as well. That's how we hope it will be, is that our sons will continue to take over the leadership roles in the family. But this culture and, and society was structured that way. Women had very few rights and/or privileges. They were mostly not seen and heard, but being and not being free to voice their opinions or ideas. And this form of suppression was due to the fall of man. However, looking at the life of Christ, He gave purpose and value to women. For example, the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman in a sinful relationship. Yet Jesus spoke to her. And her life was completely changed by her encounter with Jesus. This is the complete truth. When we have an encounter with Jesus Christ and allow that encounter to impact our lives, we are changed forever and walk in a completely new direction in our daily lives. There was Mary Magdalene from whom Jesus cast out seven demons. And on the day of his resurrection, Jesus first appeared to her. There was a woman caught in adultery, and Jesus said that he did not condemn her and that she was to go and sin no more. There were women that he healed as well, and we know from the book of Acts that women, including Mary, Jesus' mother, were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. In the general rules of Jewish genealogy, it is very unusual for women's names to be found. The Jewish bloodline always dealt with the father, the son, the grandson, and so on. No records were kept concerning the mother. In the Gospel of Matthew, the four women listed are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah, who is Bathsheba. In this passage of Scripture, there are 40 men's names and only five women's names mentioned. What is amazing is that the majority of of these women were not what you would call good women. Three of them were connected with some great sin, and none of them were Jews. All four were Gentiles. Tamar was a Canaanite. Rahab was of Jericho and was a Gentile. Ruth was a Moabites, and the wife of Uriah was a Hittite. All scripture is given by God, and therefore there is a God-given purpose for the inclusion of the names of these women, Hopefully, on reading through, we will see the purpose of their lives and the purpose of them being mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Amen. We start off with Tamar. Um, At the outset of of the period of time after the Israelites settled in Canaan, the terrible incident between Tamar and Judah took place. Judah was the fourth son of Jacob and Leah. At the time when the brothers wanted to kill Joseph, Judah spake out against the idea, and it was at his suggestion that they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites, who were on their way to Egypt to trade their spices and aromatic oils. There are two different women named Tamar in the Bible. The account of this Tamar is found in Genesis 38, and the other Tamar is the daughter of King David, and her story is found in 2 Samuel but she is not mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, of course. Going back to Tamar in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, she was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Judah had three sons, and she was married to his eldest son Er. The marriage was arranged by Judah. Jesus, Messiah, was to come from the tribe of Judah. You see, as we read about the genealogies and talk about the genealogies, just exactly how important these women were. Amen. Even though their lives were not right. Amen. Jesus was to come from the tribe of Judah. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And an extract of Revelation 5 and 5 says, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. To digress a little, but underlining the importance of Judah, when the tabernacle in the wilderness was erected, the entrance was to face east towards the rising sun. The tribe of Judah was to set up their camp in the east, in the front of the entrance, and when they had settled their camp, they would raise their standard. The name Judah means praise. When camp broke up and the tribes moved out on the march, Judah led the way. Very important tribe Judah was. Tamar was very important in the genealogy of Jesus. In that period of time, it is very important for a male to produce a male heir. If a man dies and has not produced a male heir, his brother would be responsible to produce a male heir for the dead brother and in the dead brother's place. But in the case of Tamar, this principle was neglected and there was no heir to the tribe of Judah. Tamar knew how essential it was for there to be an heir, and so she schemed a way to deceive Judah. As a result of her sin and deception, she produced twin boys. And when her deception was exposed to Judah, he acknowledged that he had failed her, and he said, She hath been more righteous than I, because I gave her not to my son Shelah. Tamar's intention was not evil. She was deeply loyal to Judah's family, but her her sin was very bad. The result, however, was that the family line of Judah was preserved. God does not condone sin, but he does forgive. This account of Tamar is a very difficult passage to read and even more difficult to talk about. But If you want to read about it, it's found in Genesis chapter 38. The next uh, uh, lady is Rahab. A short background of the nation of Israel was that they were under the leadership of Moses, which later passed on to Judah. In order to enter Canaan, they had to cross the river Jordan, and God miraculously enabled them to do so by stopping the flow of water as the priests stepped into the river with the Ark of the Covenant. The next thing they needed to do was to conquer Jericho, and again, God miraculously enabled them to do this. This is where we meet Rahab, and details of her are found in Joshua chapter 2. To gain advantage, Joshua sent spies into Jericho to view the land, and they came to an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. The king of Jericho was told that these men were in Jericho in Rahab's home, and that Rahab was to give them over to the soldiers who came to look for them. However, Rahab hid the spies under some stalks of flax on the roof of her house, and she answered the soldiers who questioned her, saying, that there were men here, but I don't know where they are, she said. Rahab showed great courage and expressed her faith in God, saying to the spies, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, that all the inhabitants faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, For you, and you came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. After the soldiers had left, she let the spies down by a cord, because her house was on the wall of the city. But before they left, she made the spies swear an oath that because of the kindness she had shown them, that they in turn would show kindness to her father's household and save alive her father, her mother, her brethren, her sisters and all they that, had, uh, that they had sorry, and all they had and deliver their lives from death. The spies agreed, saying that she was not to speak of this business and that they would deal kindly and truly with her and her family. It was arranged that that same line of scarlet thread would hang from the window of the house for the Israelites to see when they came back to conquer Jericho. Only those family members gathered in her household would be saved, and if she spoke of this oath to anyone, it would be broken. When the Israelites captured Jericho, they spared the house with the scarlet thawed, cord in the window. And it seems that Rahab and her family were later brought to the nation of Israel. In the genealogy, it states that she was the wife of Salmon. She gave birth to Boaz, who married Ruth and became the father of Obed, the grandfather of Jesse, and the great grandfather of David. Rahab was a Canaanite, a harlot. And she lied to the soldiers when she hid the Israelite spies. But despite that, she was a very important part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This Canaanite woman, whose culture worshipped idols, expressed great faith in the God of the Israelites. Faith pleases God. I believe this account shows that once again, God does not condone sin, but his grace and forgiveness is extended to all. It is not limited to nationality or the nature of the person's sins. It's extended to all. Ruth is the next uh, lady in the genealogy. The only thing wrong with Ruth is that she was a Moabite. In a pagan society, who believed in many gods, totally the opposite to the Hebrews. Her name means friendship. She has a whole book in the Bible dedicated to her. Her story is one of family, companionship and selflessness. Ruth was married to Malon, one of the two sons of Elimelech and Naomi. They lived in Israel, but there came a time when there was a famine in Israel, so they moved to Moab. The two sons married Moabites, Ruth and Orpah, but sadly Elimelech and his two sons died and they left, that left three widows. Naomi decided to return home to Bethlehem and she told Ruth and Orpah to go back to their own families and she would return alone. But Ruth chose to go with her and saying these very well-known words which we find in the book of Ruth, chapter 1 and 16, For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, thy God my God. Amen. Amen. Naomi and Ruth began. Uh, sorry, Naomi and Ruth, being widows, were in a rather desperate situation, because the life of widows is very difficult. And Ruth was permitted to glean grain in the field of Boaz, a wealthy Israelite and distant kinsman of Naomi. Naomi urged Ruth to ask protection of Boaz, as the next of kin. Through f- a fair amount of proving himself eligible, on all accounts, to be kinsman redeemer, he redeemed Ruth and married her. She bore her son, Obed, grandfather of Jesse, and the great-grandfather of David. To explain the necessity of a kinsman redeemer for Ruth, it was a custom in those days, as we find in Deuteronomy chapter 25, that a relative of a man who dies should marry that man's widow in order to perpetuate his lineage through this woman. According to God's remarkable sovereignty, It turned out that Boaz was a relative to Ruth's husband who had passed away. So he was qualified to marry her and perpetuate the lineage. So even in the midst of Ruth and Naomi's awful affliction, God still had a plan to take care of them. Ruth demonstrates love, friendship, loyalty, devotion, and faith in Naomi's God. There is no sinful behavior recorded in her life at all. In order to be a kinsman redeemer, it's necessary to have certain qualifications. The kinsman redeemer must be a blood relative. And Boaz was related to Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. He must be capable of redeeming. redeeming. And in this case, Boaz must have the financial means to redeem the land and must be able to marry Ruth. He had to be willing. Boaz was very glad that Ruth had asked him to be a kinsman redeemer, and he must complete the transaction and the process. Boaz redeemed the land, married Ruth, and provided an heir. This account is in the old, this account in the Old Testament is an illustration of Jesus Christ's work of atonement. Of course, the atonement of Jesus Christ for our sins is far greater. Than the account of Boaz, but only Jesus was able to redeem us from our lost state. Because he was born a human being, Jesus had blood. He was a blood relative. Because of his sinless state, Jesus was capable of purchasing and redeeming the penalty for the sins of man. Jesus was willing to be our redeemer. And because of his crucifixion, Jesus completed the atonement And provided the means for salvation. The next uh, lady is the wife of Uriah. The wife of Uriah is Bathsheba. And by the time we get to this point in history, we have kings reigning. Previous to that, they had judges. And Samuel the prophet and last righteous judge of Israel appointed his sons to be judges. But they were not righteous or worthy of the office. The elders of Israel demanded that a king be appointed, and they gathered themselves together and said to Samuel, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. This displeased Samuel, and he was downhearted. But the Lord said to him, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto you, for they have not rejected you. But they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. As we all know, the man of God to be chose the man God chose to be king was Saul, and at the time of his anointing to be king, Samuel the prophet said to the nation of Israel, And ye have this day rejected your God, who himself saved you out of all your adversities and your tribulations, and ye have said unto him, Nay, but set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. <coughs> From a human and natural point of view, they could reject God as their king. But spiritually, there is, spiritually he is there for eternity. And all the rejection in the world will never make him go away. Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 1 and 17, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We can only attribute forever and ever to God. And we can know for a fact that if Israel had continued under God as their king, the nation would have been much better off in every way. The best way is God's way. Right now I need to say that eternal life for us comes from God, through Jesus Christ. We can reject him, if that is our choice, and be like others in this world, but he's not going to go away. The only way we can enter into heaven is to accept his way of salvation. To me, it is worth it not to look and be like others, but to be committed to God's ways. If perhaps there's been a time in your life that you've been committed to God and slipped away, at the end of the service, we will have a time at the altar where you can make it right with God. If you have never made a commitment to God and would like to do so today, please come to the altar at the end of the service. We will pray with you. For any needs today, this altar will be open at the end of the service. And I pray that God bless all of us. Amen. There's only one way, and that's God's way. We can try and we can try and do something our own way, but it'll never come to anything. It only leads to frustration and disappointment, and we wonder what on earth went wrong. Amen. But we follow God. His ways will make it right for us. Amen. That Israel could have had a wonderful life. They could have had victory every time. Amen. If they'd done it God's way. But they kept turning away from God and doing it their own way. And I understand we in the flesh. I understand the flesh is drawing us away from God. I understand we have an enemy of our souls that tries to draw us away in God. But we can always get victory through God if we go to Him and allow Him to work in our lives. Allow Him to be in our lives. Allow Him to continue in our lives and let his ways be our ways. Amen. He won't go away. He's always going to be there. Let's not reject God. Let us go to him. Amen. David was the reigning king when Bathsheba features. She was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who was a very diligent soldier, extremely loyal and honorable. He was exemplary in every way. And in fact, he showed up the king's faults. While Uriah was fighting in the current battle, David was inactive, and he noticed Bathsheba bathing on the roof of a nearby house. house. In this incident, I do feel a little sorry for Bathsheba because the king sent messengers to her to come to him. Obedience to the king was essential, but unfortunately the king's intentions were not pure. Adultery was committed, and Bathsheba was with child. In order to cover up the sin, David called Uriah to come In from the battle and gave him permission to rest at home. Uriah, being such an honorable man, refused the comforts of home and slept outside. He would not be disloyal to his fellow soldiers and have comfort whilst they were fighting a war. So this ploy did not work, and David decided on another way and ply him with feasting and much wine so that Uriah would weaken and go home and sleep in his own home. But once again, Uriah was honorable, and he slept at the door of the king's house with the servants. Because Uriah would not go home, David could not cover up his sin, and so he devised a plan to have Uriah killed in the battle. Uriah was not a front-line soldier, but David sent him back to the battle and arranged for him to be put in the front line where he was killed. The child that had been conceived in adultery later on died. Sister Zdenko, could you come to the piano, please? God sent Nathan the prophet to David to confront and expose this enormous sin of David's. David repented, as we read in Psalm 51. David was very quite contrite, and because he acknowledged and repented, God forgave his sins. From this example, we see that repentance is vital in our walk with God. After that, David did not harp on the sins he committed, but after genuine repentance, he moved on serving God. Sadly for them, their child died, and the Bible records how deeply David mourned. Later, he married Bathsheba, and they had four other children, Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon. Solomon was the next king after David, and he built the temple. Thank God for his grace, his love, his mercy, and his forgiveness as seen in these accounts, and that grace and love and mercy which we see in these accounts that are given this morning still prevails today. It's still available. Amen. The altar is open if anybody would like to come and seek the Lord today.